Um, as we move into this new year and new decade, I uh, want to do a series called 2020 Vision. 2020 Vision. You know, they say hindsight is 2020. We can see clearly once we've gotten through something and we look back at it. But I want to, I firmly believe this, that if we get our eyes focused in on Jesus, if we get our eyes focused in on God and what he has for us as individuals and as a church together, that we can have clear vision as we move into the future. We can know what it is that God's called us to do and what it is we should be putting our efforts towards. And so I just want to do that. We have a vision statement that has led this church for many years. This is what it is. It says, we exist to see people saved, to see saved people grow, and to encourage believers to reach the next person. This has been the mission statement, the vision statement for this church. It's a powerful one. It's the correct vision, mission statement. It aligns with the purpose that God has put the church here on earth. And in this region, this church has seen so many people come to know Jesus as a result of just being here and having that kind of mission and knowing that we're here for those that don't yet know Jesus. A lot of churches can get, and it's easy to do this, to kind of get inward focused, right? And just focus on us, us four, no more, you know, kind of mentality. Hey, we love Jesus. We love each other. We just want to spend time together. We're not really worried about the rest of the world. And it's easy to do that. But this church has fought against that by saying, look, we're here for the world. We're here for people that don't yet know Jesus. And so that's powerful. So encouraging that that's who this church has been, and it's who we're going to continue to be. We're going to stay on mission in that sense. That will continue to be our vision. We also want to see save people grow. And so this church has provided opportunities for people who are following Jesus to grow in their faith, to grow in their maturity. That involves the understanding of who God is and what the scriptures teach, having the mindset and the understanding of the truth of God. It also has to do with the application of that truth and living out uh, the gospel. And so that has been the history, the focus for this church. It will continue to be will continue to provide opportunities and ways for believers to grow in their faith. And lastly, the goal for us is to see those who are following Jesus that are a part of this church over a period of time to mature to the point that they're living on mission. They recognize that they live in the world, not just for themselves, but to represent Jesus and to influence the world around them towards a belief in Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. And I, I just call that living on mission. And so if you've been here uh, through the fall, we did a series called Be the Message. And we talked about where we live, where we work, where we play, that these are arenas that God's placed us in to have an impact, to influence others towards God. And so we're going to continue to do that. So this is our vision statement. It's going to continue to be. We're just going to get focused in on it. And how I want to do that is over the next five weeks, I want to look at the five biblical purposes for the church. Um, some people a lot smarter than me, as they studied the New Testament, looked at the church that Jesus started. They've kind of sifted through everything and distilled it into five key biblical purposes that should guide us, that we should be uh, sure that we're uh, working to fulfill, right? The church exists for a reason. It's not just here for us to get together and have a good time, but there are things we're supposed to be accomplishing and working towards. And so that gives us purpose. And a church that has purpose is going to accomplish the mission or work towards accomplishing the mission. And so the five purposes that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, uh, the first one we're going to look at today is worship. And then there's discipleship, which I talked about. There is fellowship. There is service or serving together. And then there's mission slash evangelism. Those are the five things that we see in Scripture. And the two passages we're going to look at over the next few weeks, one is uh, called the Great Commission. That's found in Matthew chapter 28. It's where Jesus commissioned his disciples to go into the world and make disciples. And, uh, and that's what propelled them to go around the world and spread the gospel to all people, which we're still working towards. It's one of the reasons we support missionaries, because we realize we have a global responsibility, right, to be a part of gospel advancement. So it's the, 
the Great Commission. And the second one, which we're going to look at part of today, is called the Great Commandment. And this is where Jesus was asked. Um, we find it in the Gospels. If you want to turn to Mark chapter 12, if you have your Bible or you want to look on your app, Mark chapter 12, we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to hone in on that, the Great Commandment. But that's another one where Jesus was asked, you know, what is the greatest commandment? What, what would distill or put together the law? And Jesus described it in a way that we're going to look at this morning. But we want to focus on these two scriptures, passages, to see these five purposes and to get our vision in focus, to make sure that we're on point when it comes to individual followers of Jesus, families, and a collective church, so that we are tracking with and seeing clearly where it is God is leading us. So if you're looking in Mark chapter 12, let me just pray um, and we'll dig into it. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the calling you placed on our lives to be a part of your family, to be a part of your work in the world. And Father, we know that you have good works for us to accomplish. You have good things for us to give our lives to. And you also have the same for us as a church. So God, we just want to pray that you would give us clarity you would allow us to see clearly what it is that you want us to do. What it is you're calling us to do in this world. So that we can continue to make an impact in this region for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2020 vision, his mission, our focus. And today we're looking at our focus is worship. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 30 says this. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. So there's a debate between Jesus and some of the religious leaders. This happened often as they were trying to trip him up, question him, uh, make him look like a fool in front of people. So this religious leader, he realized that Jesus had answered well the question that he was asked. And so he asked this of him. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is one, or is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. God's mission for us as individuals and as a church begins with his command and his call that we worship him. It begins with us aligning our lives with a love and affection and desire for God. This is the beginning of everything. It's where it all starts. Serving God doesn't come about unless we're in love with him, unless we're living lives that are, um, are lives of worship towards him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's interesting. This command comes from God, and a lot of people look at this over the years they have, and they've looked at the Bible and said, man, what a selfish God. What a needy God. Like, he needs everyone to worship him. You know, needing people to notice him. Oh, oh you know, that, that's not what's happening here. God in heaven has called us and commanded us as his people, as his creation, to worship him because we need to worship him. If we don't worship him, we're going to worship something because we're needy. We're people that walk through this life in need of something, in need of a connection. And so we worship we put our attention and affection and our lives in the direction of things. And if we're not focused on God, then we get off. And God said, listen, I want you, my creation, who I made in my image, to reflect me. And it's fair to do that because he's the one that designed all of this. <laughs> he's the one that has the intention behind it. So he knows why we were created. He knows what he has for us to do and how he wants us to live. And it's the right way. And so here we are, he's going, listen, if you guys don't worship me, if you're not focused on me, then you're going to get focused on something else. And that's going to, that's going to dictate and, ha and uh, control the outcome of who you become. See, what we worship, in a lot of ways, what we worship is what we become. If you worship money, then we become cold and hardened because money has no heart. All we care about is acquiring that thing. If we worship Sex, we become sleazy and perverted. If we worship our kids, we become childish. If you don't believe me, just go to a youth sporting event and you'll see adults acting childish. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, come on, you know it's true. 
Hey, I might have done that a time or two. I'm not saying I'm above it. It's just what happens. If we worship our jobs, then we become human doings instead of human beings, which we're intended by God. God didn't create us to worship these things. And when we do, we get off. But the truth of it is, when we worship God, we become more like God. Our character changes. Our heart changes. We begin to look more like the people that God designed us to be. That's good. It's good. It's good for us. It's good for the people around us that have to live with us and put up with us on a daily basis. It becomes better for everyone the more that we focus in on God. And so worshiping God becomes uh, so important. So important. It's an essential. And that's why as a church, we want to provide an opportunity for people in this community, for people who call this church home, a place to worship. We want to encourage it and foster it. It's really our goal on the weekends through this serve, these services is that you would be encouraged to worship, that you would be drawn to worship God, that your hearts and your attention and your mind would be focused in on worshiping God, that everything about this would draw you and focus you and motivate you to worship him. So I want to look at it this morning. Worship is such a key for a church. It's key for us as individuals. And if we're going to stay uh, focused on the vision and the mission God has for us, then we've got to get this right. And so i got three keys I want us to look at this morning. Three keys that will make our worship effective. It'll make it right on, in focus, on point. Key number one is this. Our worship should be authentic. Our worship should be authentic. Back to our passage here, Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says this, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. See, loving God is the heart of worship. It's the heart of worship. It's where our affection and our attention are focused on God. We're drawn to him. We love him. We appreciate what he's done for us. We can't get enough of being with him. We just want more. And it's because we love him with everything that we are. We recognize what he's done for us. That love for God heals us. It makes us right inside. It it makes our minds focus on good things and think the right way. It really affects our whole being. And so that's why this passage says, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First one there is heart. Well, your heart um, is your inner self, and it's represented or the root of your desires. What you desire as a human being, what you long for. Listen, if you've uh, made a decision to follow Jesus, you know that you have desires inside of you that God says no to. Do not do that. But you have a desire for it. And so you fight this desire. Inside of you, there's a longing, there's a want for these things that you know God says no to. And you know because God says no to them, they're destructive in some way. They don't reflect who he wants you to be. And so you fight them. You try to resist them. But these desires continue to stir up within us. How do you control or lead your desires? It's hard. I mean, sometimes it just seems random. And it seems like over the period of time, I might think, wow, I got victory over that desire. I don't have it anymore. And all of a sudden it creeps up again. So what do we do with this? Well, listen, I don't have all of the secrets to controlling our desires. We have a sin nature. And the truth is we're going to have sinful desires that come from inside of us as long as we're on this earth. It doesn't go away completely. But I do know this, that desires are like appetites. And appetites grow as we feed them. And so my appetite for steak grows as I eat more steak. My appetite for good food grows as I feed it. This is what happens with us. And so I know this, if I'm to love the Lord my God with all my heart or all my desires, I need to feed and fuel my desire for him. I need to make sure that that appetite is fed. And as I do that, as I spend time with God, as I spend time in the word, as I spend time at church worshiping, then my desire for him is going to grow. It's going to strengthen. It's going to be enhanced. Whatever I feed in my life is going to grow. And so I want to encourage you encourage all of us. Our worship is on point. Authentic worship means that we desire more of God. We're resisting the desires that go against him, but we're feeding that desire for him. 
Soul is the next. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Your soul is, I think, best understood as your personality. Your personality, who you are, who God has designed you to be. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Love God with all your personality. Are you a detailed person? Are you a big picture person? Love God with all your personality. Are you an inspirational person, a motivational person? Love God with all your personality. Are you an achiever? Are you dependable? Love God with all your personality. Are you expressive or reserved? Love God with all your personality. The scriptures show us from the stories of individuals in the Bible that follow Jesus that God made Peter who was a fairly brash, outspoken, uh, rush into the fray kind of guy, say what's on his mind, not very many filters, uh, wore his heart on his sleep. God made him, and he loved God with his personality. He ran after God. Did he make some mistakes? Yeah. But he continued to fight to honor God and to live for him with his personality. Peter didn't change who he was in order to follow Jesus. He just followed Jesus more, Right? And as he did more, his personality and his character became stronger. But he didn't change who he was when Jesus called him in terms of his personality. Uh, We also see Matthew who followed Jesus, who who lived for God and loved God with his personality. And Matthew was probably, you know, he's a tax collector. I'm thinking he was a little more of a, maybe a bookworm, you know, a guy that that liked to pour over numbers. and, and, uh, And he was maybe a little more reserved. But God used him too, and he loved God with his personality. Um, so we see this in the scriptures. God made uh, Paul, the apostle Paul, who was also a very powerful, pushy, uh, driven leader, who was responsible for seeing the gospel spread through the Roman Empire, did incredible things with his life. He changed when God got a hold of him, but he, his personality, God used. He harnessed it towards accomplishing what God wanted. And God also used Dr. Luke, right? A physician, very different from Paul, very different personality, detailed, caring, uh, understood medicine and medicinal purposes in the body, the body and knew how to heal people. And God used him. See, God can use us no matter w- what kind of person we are. We just need to love God with all that we are. And part of that is our personality. Well, the next thing that uh, this verse says to love God with is to love God with all your mind. Our mind is our way of thinking. We struggle with our thoughts. Uh, Many would say that the battlefield for life in a lot of ways happens in our mind. That we struggle to keep our thoughts pointed in the right direction, in a healthy direction. Uh, I know people that drive truck have a lot of time, they call it windshield time. They go, man, it's struggle some days to like keep my thoughts going in the right direction. Because our minds just go... um, some of us have more mental activity than others in, in, in the sense that we just sort of think about stuff. You know, I've got someone very close to me. I, I love her dearly. It's not my wife, but I love her dearly. And I just got to give that. But she overthinks all the time. Like she will be down the road 10 years. Like she sees a guy, he's kind of cute. And then all of a sudden she's got, well, is this going to work? And are we gonna, Like it goes down the road. Hold on, slow it down. Like just relax a little. You don't have to overthink everything. But we do that. We do that. Um, And so our minds and controlling our minds is difficult. The scriptures tell us that we need to have our minds renewed, right? Our Our minds need to be renewed by the power of God so that they think correctly, so that we've been changed and transformed. Arrogance, pride, depression, addiction, all have their roots in the way we think about ourselves, how we see ourselves. And God says he wants to renew our minds and change who we are. A lot of times as I've gone through uh, ministry years and struggled to help people who have um, self-identity issues, uh, don't see themselves correctly, struggle with depression, I go, listen, you need to see yourself the way God sees you. We get uh, negative towards ourselves, discouraged, depressive thoughts about ourselves and our lives. But the truth is, if we could see ourselves the way God sees us, see, our value is infinite. He sent his son Jesus to die for us, to redeem us and save us. This is how important we are to him. To see ourselves the way God sees us changes everything. Romans 12 verse 2 says this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person 
by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, when we align our minds with God, when we love him with our thoughts, with our way of thinking, as we love him, he changes the way we think. It lines up with his thoughts, with the truth. The truth is not that um, God is angry with us and hates us. The truth is that God loves us and cares for us. See, that changes the way that we think about ourselves. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. The last thing in this list is strength. And strength is representative or probably understood best as your energy and power, right, physically. It also can include possessions, material things, like money and other possessions that you have. And, and the scripture is saying love God with all of that. Love God with your physical strength. Romans 12 verse 1 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So we talk about worship. Romans 12 says, listen, offer your bodies to God. Let him use physically who you are. And then that is uh, an offering. That is a way to worship him. And he will accept that. Give all that you are to God. God is saying that um, we must have complete and entire and all-encompassing love for him with our entire lives. All of these things are interconnected, right? We're complex beings. And our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength are intertwined. And so the battle is, the struggle is to focus all of our lives towards God. To love him with all that we are. We see some examples in Scripture, again, of people who lived their lives all for God. Their love for Him was complete, and it encompassed all who they were. Doesn't mean they didn't make mistakes. Doesn't mean they didn't get caught in things. But they loved God. The first one I think of in the Old Testament is King David, who was known as having a heart for God. He loved God. As a young boy, he spent time out watching the sheep uh, for his father, and he wrote hymns and songs and poems. He worshiped God on his own. He was able to spend time out there in isolation. He was developing his heart. He focused it on God and his love for God. And that caused him to grow to become a man, a young man, who when faced with a giant, a Philistine giant who was defying the armies of the living God, David said, that man needs to be stopped. Someone needs to come against that giant and stop him. He's defying the armies of God. This isn't right. And so David stepped up in faith with a lot of confidence that was surprising for his youth. He stepped into a battle that he should not have been able to win. But he knew that because God had prepared him in the moments of worship, where David loved God and worshiped God and his whole being was aligned with God, then he was able to step into a moment that by faith, he knew that God would use him, that God would meet him in that moment and he would be able to defeat a giant. And he did. We also see the apostle um, Paul in the New Testament who started off as Saul, who was opposed to the work of God. He was running around trying to arrest people that were following Jesus. He wanted them thrown in prison and even killed for their worship of the false Messiah. But one day Saul, on the way to Damascus, was hit with a, with a bright light and with the presence and person of Jesus. And Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you going against what I'm doing? And Saul recognized who Jesus was. He came to faith in Jesus, and he turned his life. One of the most powerful testimonies in the New Testament for the evidence of Jesus' existence is the life of Saul, who became Paul. He turned his life around. He was an enemy of the work of Jesus. He became a follower and a fighter for the work of Jesus. Gave his life completely to advancement of the gospel. It's one of the strongest evidences that Saul saw something on the road to Damascus. Because that kind of life change and turnaround doesn't just happen. It doesn't just occur. It's amazing to watch. He gave his life 100% to what God was doing. He loved God with everything that he was. And God used him to change the world. But as human beings, we fight with this. We love the created things in this world. And we struggle to love the creator more than the created things. We fall in love with what we can see and touch and feel, what we have, what we crave, what we want. 
right? We, get, we fall in love with it. And the scriptures teach us to be careful of that, that our attraction and our affection must first be to the creator. Otherwise, we get off track. If we fall in love with the things in this world, they will fade away and we'll be left with nothing in the end. But if we fall in love with the creator, the one who made us and made this world, then we will get to enjoy the things in this world that he made for us. We can enjoy them as they were intended to be enjoyed. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17 says this, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we need, or everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything else, or or along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. John's saying this, look, don't fall in love with this world. The world doesn't have anything to offer you. It's fading away. It's going to be destroyed. Fall in love with the one who made this world. Put him first in your life. And we battle with this. We struggle with it. But our worship must be authentic. If we come to worship uh, on Sundays or on the weekends and we're ready to worship God from an authentic, pure heart where we're pressing into God, doesn't mean we're sin-free, doesn't mean we're str- we don't struggle, but our hearts are for God. We love him with everything we are. Then it's going to create a powerful worship time together. Because as individuals, when we're worshiping with authenticity, then we worship as a church in an authentic way. It's a powerful witness and testimony, and it makes an impact in our lives. How are you doing at loving God and worshiping God authentically? How are you doing in your heart? Do you find yourself loving the things in this world first? Or do you find yourself feeding and fueling a love for God? Can I encourage you as we move into this new year and new decade, Man, you will not go wrong by putting your affection and attention towards God. It will pay off immense dividends in your life. You want to make an investment that will come back to you 100 times what you put into it. It's pouring into and fueling an authentic heart for God that I'm going to love God with all that I am. Second key to worship, to powerful worship, to ensuring that as a church we're focused in on this um, this purpose that God's given us of worship is this. Our worship should be consistent. Our worship should be consistent. Hebrews 10.25 says this, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Writer Hebrews is saying, listen, let's keep meeting together. Don't neglect that. Don't let that fall, uh, fall away. Can I tell you that every generation has its battle with getting to church? Every generation has some struggle, and typically it's unique to that generation, though sometimes it just, you know, continues on. But there's a battle, there's a struggle uh, in getting to church and setting aside that time and saying, look, i got to be there. i got to be in church. It's important for me and my family. Every generation struggles with it. Um, There was two guys that went out fishing one Sunday morning, and they're out in the boat trying to catch a fish. And uh, they're casting, trying everything. Nothing's working. And they're there for hours, and they're not seeing any results. And one guy looks to the other and says, you know, maybe we should have stayed home today and gone to church instead of coming out here fishing. This isn't working very good. And the other guy said, well, I could have stayed at home, but I couldn't go to church. And uh, the other fisherman said, well, why not? Why couldn't you go to church? And he said, well, my wife's sick. Okay, I know it's, listen, it's 11 o'clock, it's almost 12 o'clock. You guys should be, okay, no, here's the deal. We can make an excuse to not go to church. <laughs> we can make an excuse. Sometimes it's like we just think in that way. Well, I can't go. I was just at church last week, or I've already been this month, or I don't know. There's all kinds of things mentally that we create blocks, okay, to getting to church. Can I encourage you? I know, listen, disclaimer. I know I'm a preacher. You're expecting to hear this from me. But if you went to the doctor and you, your cholesterol was high, you'd say, listen, do some things to fix it. Okay, that's all I'm doing here. Let me encourage you with this. Being in church is important. It's powerful for your life. It gives a perspective to you that you need. Listen, the early church, book of Hebrews, this is within the first hundred years 
after Jesus uh, left the earth, okay? It's very quickly. They were struggling to get to church. And the book of Hebrews was written to the Jewish Christians in Rome. They're in Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire, and they're there and they're struggling to get to worship. Why? Because there was a threat on their life. They were threatened with um, arrest or, or, um, or being killed for their faith, for their practicing uh, the worship of Jesus. See, the church at this time was called the way. That's all it was referred to, the way. People are a part of the way. You've heard of that way, the way movement. Yeah, those are the people of the way. That's what it was called in the Roman Empire. And see, uh, Christianity, then known as the way, was not a legal religion. See, the Roman Empire would okay what religions people could follow. And it typically was associated with peoples that they conquered. So they conquered the Jewish people. And so they said Judaism is a legal religion. You can worship uh, and practice Judaism. But this the way thing was a sect wasn't seen as legitimate. It wasn't a part of a people group that they had conquered. It emerged out of Judaism with this Jesus guy, right? And, and so all of a sudden it's spreading like wildfire. And the, the empire, Roman Empire said, no, it's illegal. And so the people, the Christians in Rome that were Jewish but believed Jesus was the Messiah were under threat of arrest. They were under threat of, of um, being, being killed for their faith. Now listen, if that was the case here, I might have a little harder time standing up here and saying, okay, guys, you need to get to church. I know you could be arrested. I know you could be uh, the lecture chair, but you need to get here because it's important. I mean, that's what was going on here. And the writer of Hebrews, he doesn't shirk back from it. He doesn't hold back. Why? It's essential. It's important. If we're going to grow, if we're going to be effective followers of Jesus, if we're going to really press in to who God wants us to be, then we need to gather together. And that's why the writer of Hebrews said that. Listen, don't, don't stop. Don't neglect. You know, they were wanting to go back to Judaism. They were leaving this Christianity thing and going, look, this is too much pressure. I'm going to go back to Judaism. I'm going to go back to following the law. And the writer Hebrews said, listen, there's no salvation there. That isn't where God's at. And the truth is God uh, was never, that never had the power to save anybody. It was really God just showing us that we needed a savior, Jesus. See, the truth is the writer of Hebrews knew that God's plan had come to earth. God's plan for salvation had come to earth in the person of Jesus, God in the flesh. Jesus had come to the earth. We just celebrated Christmas. He was born a baby, a needy baby, and he grew and emerged into a man who started a ministry, healing the sick and casting out demons and forgiving sins. And he walked the earth and he was arrested and uh, put on trial, condemned to death for something he didn't do, And he went to the cross and he spread his arms as the nails were pounded in. He bled and he died for all of humanity. And it's because of that sacrifice, that plan of God, that we have the opportunity to know God and to walk with him, to walk in forgiveness and newness of life. Listen, if you've not yet made a decision to trust in Jesus, can I call you to that? The beginning of a new decade and a new year. Can't imagine a better way to start this season of your life than to commit your life to following Jesus. Put your trust in him. He's a good savior. He loves you and he wants you to be with him for all eternity. What pulls you away from gathering together with the church? What keeps you from getting here on a regular, consistent basis? Maybe it's your job, maybe it's your kids, Maybe it's recreation, maybe it's travel, maybe it's a lack of commitment. I don't know. Listen, I've heard my whole life, uh, I just met a guy, a rancher up in Colorado when I was elk hunting just this year. And uh, we were doing the introduction thing. He said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I work in a church. He said, oh, that's interesting. Well, I don't go to church. He said, I don't go to church. I believe in God, but I don't go to church. Uh, I worship God out here. This is my church. Now, I've heard that once. I've heard it a million times. Listen, I love being in nature too, Okay. Can I just be real with you for a minute? Jesus died on a cross and he started the church, okay? So the church is his thing. It's not the preacher's thing. It's not, you know, uh, the denomination's thing. It's Jesus' thing. And if he started the church, if you want to follow him and be connected to him and find salvation through him, you better be a part of his church, right? Didn't I just naturally follow? I mean, to me, it seems, seems logical. But I know a lot of people struggle, right? We struggle with it. We get hurt in church. 
Somebody we feel condemned in church. Uh, somebody's, uh, you know, a relationship fractures or we hear something that's too harsh or it hurts us from the pulpit. I don't know. There's all kinds of things that happen. And I kind of correlate it to our families. We can get hurt in our families too. We love our families and our families have a great deal of influence over us. And sometimes we get hurt in our families, but we still need them. We still need to be a part of our families. And so, of course, our prayer is that all churches would be like this church, which is perfect. Right? No, it's not perfect, but it's a good church. It's a good church. Listen, the, the word of God is preached here, and the spirit of God is here, and there's worship of God that happens here. When Mary and I first visited this church, we could just sense it. We could tell that God was wor- at work here. And I want to encourage you, if you're watching online and you don't come to church because you've been hurt or there's an issue, can I just, can I just beg with you to try it? Maybe this year would be your year to get in church. If you come here regularly, Can I call you to get in church more, to be more consistent? Look, let me give you some benefits and some reasons that you need church. If I can just try to talk you into it. Here's what it would be. Number one, you need to be with other believers. This is going to strengthen your resolve to follow Jesus. You want strength in your spiritual life. You want to overcome some of the struggles that you've had. You want to see the issues that you're fighting with that are beating you up diminish in the power that they have in your life, then get in church more often. Being around other people, there's encouragement there. There's life that I get when you're here. Can I just tell you that church is not the same when you're not here? It's not the same. I draw encouragement from you because you're here. It lifts my spirits. And I know that that happens with all of us. We need each other. We need to encourage each other and lift each other up. Secondly, you need to worship God by singing with other believers. Yes, I said singing with other believers. Listen, there's a reason. Technology has done this beautiful thing. Um, we have the ability to enhance the music. We can turn it up a little bit, right? And so um, there's a reason that maybe isn't the main purpose we do that. But part of the reason that we do that is so that we can't hear each other. Okay, listen, listen, I'm going somewhere with this. Some of us aren't great at singing and we go, I'm not going to sing if I can hear myself or somebody else can hear me. It's going to be embarrassing. No, no, no. Listen, that's why we have the music. We just hear uh, Ken, who's great, right? And whoever else has the microphone, we hear them. And then we sing and we can sing our hearts out. And that's all we hear is them. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful, okay? Listen, I want to encourage I want to encourage you. Listen, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Noise is the operative word there. There's something that happens when we express ourselves, when we sing out to God. And I know not everybody's a singer. And some people go, I don't sing, Pastor. You're trying to push me into singing. Listen, there's some reasons. The benefits of singing uh, go back. They're ancient. Uh, The early, uh, the people of Israel, they sang. Uh, David wrote songs, right? We have them, the book of uh, Psalms. Much of the, many of them are songs that would be sung. Uh, There's a reason for doing that. Something happens in our spirits and in our hearts when we sing. There's an alignment with the group of people that we're with. Uh, When I was in college, it was a Bible college, the dean of men would get all of us men in a room and we'd sing together, you know. It was powerful. It was fun, you know. It gave us this sense of camaraderie. I knew a basketball coach who used to make his team sing together. He's like, man, they're a better team when they sing together. They're lined up. They're in sync better. I don't know. Like, all I know is that God, uh, the church has always done it. The people of Israel did it. And there's a reason. The New Testament has songs, right, written right into the text that the early church would sing together. Can I just ask you, look, if you need to talk to me, Pastor, I can still hear myself. Could you turn it up a little more? Yeah, we'll we'll get it done, man, whatever we need to do. But but I want to encourage you to sing. Like, it'll change you. It'll change your heart. You'll wake up in the mornings, and this happens to me. I'll wake up in the morning, and a song about Jesus going in my head. And I think, did God put that in my head while I was sleeping? Because I need to be thinking about that. I don't know. But it's good. It's good to wake up with a song in your heart, a song in your, in your mind, in your soul. This is, there's a benefit to that. So we need to sing together. Third is you need to hear a sermon. Yeah, of course you're saying that, preacher. You preach like you need to hear a sermon. No, listen. It's biblical. Okay, I'm not just, I'm not just self-promoting here. It's in the Bible. Uh, God gave spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit, excuse me, Ephesians 4, gave spiritual gifts to edify and build up the body. One of them is preaching. Listen, it's a spiritual uh, interaction. It's not just a human thing going on here. 
Because we know that the Spirit of God moves through someone who's been gifted and is obedient to proclaim the truth of God. There's something supernatural that happens there. You'll get encouragement listening to a sermon. You need to get more of those. We need to have our minds filled and focused on God and the things of God. And if our worship is going to affect us in a powerful way, it needs to be consistent. As I said, church is not the same if you're not here. Can I call you in 2020 to be more consistent? Going to church is not about a legalistic uh, rule-following procedure. It's not like, oh, if I go to church more, then I'm pleasing God more, he's happier with me, and I'm going to get a higher position in heaven. That's not what it's about. It's about, uh, in an authentic way, loving God, wanting to connect with each other, worship God together. The consistency makes a difference. The things that we build into our lives affect us, right? And so can I encourage you to do it more? Maybe double your church attendance. Church attendance, regular attendance has gone to like once in five weeks, once in six weeks. I mean, it just keeps slipping. Listen, that's concerning to me. I go, listen, our culture needs more. We need more of this, not less. We go to church less in a week. When I was coming up, it was three times a week minimum, right? Now it's one time a week and maybe two if you're in a life group. But we need more, not less. Maybe that's part of the reason that we struggle more with depression, anxiety, different issues. Maybe it's because we're not getting as much of God in our lives. So can I encourage you? Have you got it? Did I push it enough? Okay, amen. All right, third key. Third key is that um, our worship should be a celebration. Our worship should be a celebration. As I said, the Psalms, many of them are songs, and there's a powerful, powerful message from Psalm 100. just want to read it for you. <clears throat> this is how our worship should look. This is what it says. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He has made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. This psalm is full of descriptors that should define our praise. It says, shout with joy. Shout with joy. Worship with gladness. Enter with thanksgiving. Go in with praise. Give thanks. These are all descriptors of our attitude and our approach to coming before God, especially on the weekends when we come to worship together, that we enter into this with a sense of celebration, with joy in our hearts. What do we give thanks for? Well, we give thanks for all that God's done for us. He has created us. He's loved us. He's believed in us, provided for us, blessed us, saved us, been merciful to us. The list goes on and on, the things that God has done for us. Listen, I know how it is. We can get up Saturday before we come to church. Come Saturday night, Sunday morning. Lots of stuff on your mind. It's a struggle getting here. We can come in with a sense of discouragement, being a little deflated. Oh, man, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Look, I get it. We could focus on uh, the difficulties in our lives. We could say, listen, I've got this struggle, that struggle. Uh, you know, my, I mean, there's so many things. A church this size, man, I know of somebody always who's struggling with something. Oftentimes life or death. And I don't even know everybody yet. I'm going, yeah, it's difficult. Life is hard. And the struggles in life are real. And I'm not trying to diminish those. And neither is this song. But what it is saying is this. I can focus on my struggles or I can come into God's presence with the heart of thanksgiving. I can say, God, you know what? I got these struggles, th that issue I need your help with. But first, before I get to those, I'm going to thank you for what you've done. I'm going to recognize the good things that you brought into my life, the blessings that you've given me. And when we go through life with a, th a sense of joy, thanksgiving, then it affects, um, it affects the outcome of our lives, how our lives look to the people around us and how we experience life itself. God doesn't want us to be in the doldrums, discouraged and depressed all the time, down about the difficulties. The book of Romans says, listen, the, the trials that we face, called the, the momentary trials that we face and afflictions, 
pale in comparison to the joy we will experience being in the presence of God for all eternity. Listen, we have a hope. We have a future. It's not in this life completely. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy this life. But we've got to remember that our true hope is in eternity with the king. And in an eternity in a place where pain and struggle will be no more. And sometimes that's what we've got to focus on. We've got to remember that there's joy that God wants to bring us. Joy is the power in our walk with God. A joyful heart is filled with energy. It's filled with um, encouragement. It's filled with that outward focus. When we get focused in on the negative and the down stuff and the difficult things, then we are consumed by those and it brings us down. We lose our energy to follow God. This psalm says, shout to joy, or shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth, all the earth. Listen, the earth does shout for joy to its creator. Where are you on the list? Are you coming before God each and every day thanking him? Coming with joy in your heart for all that God's done for you. Man, God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving me this life, for giving me the struggle I've got, for giving me the problems that I have. Thank you for, uh, you know, everything that you brought into my life. I'm so thankful to you. That fills our hearts with joy. It allows us to come together on the weekends and celebrate the goodness of God, not in a fake and phony way, because I've been in churches that do that. Oh, how's everything going? Oh, great. I'm fine. You know, I, we can put on that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a genuine deep sense of joy because of the goodness of God, because we're coming to worship him with a sense of celebration. And we can do that. We all have reason to do that. When I celebrate the goodness of God in my own life, and as I go through my life, I testify to the goodness of God to others. And people begin to see a person like me who's nothing special, who doesn't have anything great to offer the world or God, but they start to see somebody who's grateful, who's thankful, and in the midst of struggles is joyful, and they go, that's not of this world. That's not normal. That's not right. What, what are you doing? What do you got going on? And it begins to give us opportunity to love on others and to share with them the goodness of God. Listen, there are times of deep, deep struggle, and I'm not trying to minimize that. We go through seasons where we're discouraged, and that's real. And, and don't hear me saying, ah, oh, come on, just get out of that. And move. No, I'm talking about a process. I'm talking about a discipline of, of being thankful and grateful to God and going through even the difficult times with a sense of that. It brings to us something different. The Bible talks about, God talks about giving us joy that, that surpasses or is not connected to understanding. It's not rational. It's not based on the reality of our situation, but it's based on the reality of our situation with God as a part of it. God wants to bring that to our lives consistently right? Consistently, he wants to bring us joy. I know that as we gather together and we worship as a church because we've been worshiping him individually throughout the week, we come together that God's going to be pleased with what we do here together, that our worship is going to honor him and reflect him. And can I just tell you this? And Mary and I have been in this situation. We came to this church new. We didn't know anybody, but we sensed God's presence. Something powerful was happening here because there was real worship going on. And that's what happens. The mission that God's called us to to make an impact in this region is very real and it's important, but it starts with worship. It starts with us coming with uh, sincere hearts, authentically before God, saying, God, I love you. I haven't lived for you perfectly. I'm not there perfectly, but I love you and I want more of you. And I'm gonna press into that. And it's, it means a consistent presence, right, in that place and being consistently there because I need you, and you need me. We need each other, so let's be there for each other, support each other in it. And that grows our camaraderie, and it strengthens who we are together. And that bond becomes something that can't be broken, and God uses that as we seek to make an impact in this region. God is using us and can continue to do that. We just need to stay focused in on worshiping him. R.A. Torrey was an American evangelist, pastor, and writer. He worked with D.L. Moody in Chicago. The Moody Bible Institute, which you may have heard of, uh, goes way back into the 1800s, one of the greatest Bible teaching institutions in our country. There was a Moody Bible church that existed as well, and Mr. Torrey was a part of both of those. And he said this about joy, about walking with Jesus, 
I think it's profound. He said this, there is more joy in Jesus in 24 hours than there is in the world in 365 days. I've tried them both. C.S. Lewis said this, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We have the opportunity to worship God, to walk with him through each one of our days. And we can do that. And it's not about focusing on the difficulties and the struggles and the sin struggles we have. It's about focusing more on Jesus and spending more time with him and feeding our desires for him and growing our heart's affection for him. And when we do that, we come together consistently worshiping authentically, and it's a powerful thing. It shakes heaven, and it will come against the armies of hell. And we will make an impact in this region for God. We'll continue to do so. So can I call you? to a greater commitment to worship this year, 2020. Let it be a year that you start out saying, God, I want to worship you more. I don't care my struggles, my difficulties, all that stuff. I'm just going to focus in on you, and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to thank you, and I'm going to be grateful for what you've done for me. I'm going to spend more time with you, and I'm going to make sure that I get to that place on Sundays, Saturday nights, Sunday mornings, where I'm with my brothers and sisters, and I'm going to worship you with them. And God's going to grow us as a church, continue to move us to accomplish his mission as we do just that. God, thank you so much for calling us to be a part of your family. Thank you for calling us to be a part of your work. Father, thank you for each person that is here today, their desire and their commitment to be a part of your church and what you're doing. God, I pray that you would move in each and every one of us, move in our hearts. Draw us in to a closer relationship with you. The Apostle Paul said that your love compelled him. And we know that it is your love for us that draws us in. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for putting us together with a bunch of great people in a great church where we can worship you together and where we can make an impact in this region for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.